Hello and welcome to The Fandamentalist, the fandom podcast investigating all aspects of geeky media. Welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. I've spent my life trying to build something here. Growing up, a non-white, non-straight girl in Blue Springs, Nebraska. I wouldn't wish to excite your anticipation. I never asked to be made! You're exactly the hero I wanted you to be. That theme song you just heard is Good Riddance by Ars Sonar, available on the Free Music Archive. My name is Kylie, and here with me are Gretchen. Hello! And Julia. Hi, everyone. And the three of us all write for thefandamentals.com, exploring the fundamentals of fandom. So, today, episode two, lots of fun stuff going on in the geeky world. Isn't mm-hmm. that right, guys? Yes. Isn't there always lots of fun stuff going on in the geeky world? It's a magical place. I, mm-hmm. I suppose that's true. <laughs> what do we want to start with? Um, can we start with the Stephen Bomb debacle? I mean, can we start with now, Can we start with shaming Cartoon Network? Oh my gosh! I want to follow the round of the bell. I really do. It was a while ago, but you know what? <laughs> Guess what? Those episodes still have not aired on Cartoon Network on TV because they were not slated to air until the end of the month. Okay, but we all saw them, and we all saw them legally. So WTF? Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, there is a Cartoon Network app where there's actually a cable paywall to Mm -hmm. watch any episodes. But on this app, they released the next five Steven Universe episodes. Yeah. Yeah, five. Basically the next Steven Bomb that was planned at the end of the month. Basically the next Steven Bomb that was planned. Just no warning. Just one day they were there. You could watch them completely legally if you had a cable login. And then about mm, 16 hours later, something like that, they were all taken off except for one. Mm Mm-hmm. And no one knew what this was. There was no preparation. I believe one of the writers, like Matt Bennett or someone, someone working on the show was like, oh, hey, if you guys got a chance to see it, this was a lot of fun to work on the arc, all that stuff. Right. And like, like the Steven Universe fandom does, it was, you know, these videos were all over daily motion within three hours and stuff like that. I mean, like it's five episodes of Steven Universe. It's still less than an hour. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And people are going to jump on it because we're starved for more episodes. And the only way to get it is through a cable paywall, which I think they need to reconsider a little bit. Uh, We could also call the segment How to Earn Cartoon Network Money that they apparently don't want to have. Because millennials would pay for Mm – if they were like, hey, pay five bucks a month and you get the episodes as they air and stuff, I think people would. Oh, I I, do. I I totally – yeah. Absolutely. Do you know how many things I pay five bucks a month for? (laughs) Right? Right? We we want to watch this stuff legally, but mm-hmm. but basically by pulling those four episodes off of the app, all they did was ensure that the people who didn't have a chance to get to them just won't watch it legally now. Because yeah. there's still um, like 20 days in between when I mean, these were available like, and when they're airing. Cartoon Network. TV is like legalized marijuana, all right? <laughs> if we can get it legally, we will get it legally and we'll pay the taxes on it. If we can't get it legally, we will get it illegally from scary people in basements. It's right. up to you. Who are your dealers? <laughs> I have never smoked marijuana in my life. I have no idea where one gets marijuana. <laughs> oh, sweetie, it kind of shows. <laughs> right, because, like, no one wants to wait over two weeks because the internet is going to be flooded with spoilers. Yeah. No one's going to want to wait that long. 
there's a major opportunity cost to not watching it. Just and then, like, nobody's going to watch it, and their ratings will be low, and they'll wonder why. Right. And, like, here's the thing. I have nothing very good to say about how Nickelodeon treated Legend of Korra, mm-hmm. but they had the right idea that I think when season three was airing, it was simultaneously released on Nick.com, and you could watch it legally. There were ads that ran before it, mm-hmm. like 30-second Nickelodeon ads, and it was always a little demoralizing to, you know, be in your 20s watching ads for GAC or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> but they they would do it at the same time. So there could be, like, online viewership at the same time there was TV viewership. And then at the very end, uh, the, the finale, they ended up putting online only because they realized their online numbers were what was proving themselves. And there was a lot of, you know, I don't think Cora was making them a ton of money, but I think that's still more of the right idea. Have it available at the same time. Right. Have it that it's not through a paywall, because really, if you can get advertisers to still put on your website, what difference does it make how people watch this? Yeah, right. That's what I don't get. Well, what I don't get is that they tried to make it seem like it was intentional. They yeah. gave an interview and they're like, yep, um, that was planned. Over a day later... Yeah. When they didn't tell any of the people involved. It was a sneak preview. Like, uh-huh. yeah, they called it a sneak preview. And yet during the 16 hours that these episodes were up on the internet, none of them were like, hey, just so people know, there's a sneak preview of Steven Universe available right now. That's fun. Like, <laughs> to the point that, yeah, like you said, one of the, one of the members of the crew universe was like, I hope you enjoyed them because it was fun <laughs> to work on them like if if the people involved don't know it's happening it's safe to say this was unplanned <laughs> right and, and they actually told people who have review copies of the episodes not to publish reviews so there's no way this was planned i'm no. sorry there's no way and and if they really are judging whether the show is a success or not by tv ratings mm. then this is truly the worst way to go about it right. unless they think the only crowd that matters are the people with kids but do they realize my kids don't have watch kids? <laughs> <laughs> like my son doesn't know how to like use like change channels he gets confused <laughs> like <laughs> and he's not he's a very smart kid yeah. by the way. <laughs> right he picked up on the Kurosami subtext just saying <laughs> we, have so, to, we have to move on we got a lot of other news to we do have to move on yeah. but Cartoon Network really mm-hmm. Get and while together. you're at it while you're at it please release a schedule that doesn't resemble you throwing dartboards at a calendar <laughs> Please. I think you mean darts at a calendar, though dartboards at a calendar <laughs> is pretty hilarious to think about. They're just they're just going for it. That's why we get the Stephen bombs, because it's the whole board that just gets stuck up on me. <laughs> Alright. Oh, Other news. This piece of news, um George R. R. Martin wrote a blog post. Well, he replied to a comment actually in a blog post. Yeah, someone asked him about his uh, Winds of Winter comment. And I don't know if you guys remember, but last year at the start of 2016, he basically wrote this really depressing blog post mm-hmm. where he was beating himself up. He was a Martel. And <laughs> I'm sorry, I wasn't good enough. I'm not farther. I'm not as far as I thought I was. And I can't rush my writing process and all this. So I was really worried that kind of post was coming again to start off 2017. He actually sounded okay despite things, but he was saying, I'm not as far as I'd like to be. But I am thinking this year, although I've thought that before. Yeah. Don't hold your breath, I think he said. But I mean, like, there's nothing really to talk about. Like, you know, obviously we would like Winds of Winter to be out, but it's not yet. So we're going to keep waiting. And obviously he would like Winds of Winter to be out, too. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I saw, th- there's this amazing gift set. It was him and uh, Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Like, talking to each <laughs> that other. That was awesome. Stephen King is just kind of a weird machine. So. But, like, I don't understand. And him. to be fair, like, Stephen King reduces some quality, but he reduces a lot of crap. So... <laughs> He just produces a lot, but it was it was just wonderful because Martin was like, "How do you write so fast?" and and he's just like, "Oh well, I write exactly six pages every day, and like my manuscripts are X long and blah da da." And, and so Martin was like, "You don't have days where you just sit down and then you hate the sentence that you just wrote, and then you check your email, and then you start to doubt all your talent, and you think that maybe you shouldn't be writing at all." And Stephen King's just like, "No." Yeah, I had so much anxiety when I started writing because I'm much more like George R. R. Martin than I am like Stephen King and all of the writing advice is based off of people like Stephen King. Yeah. And which is weird because like I feel like so many writers are in the Martin camp, you know? Yeah. 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 And they all feel guilty about it at all times. Yeah, right. Totally. Like, I, that's how I get with my stupid fanfic. Mm-hmm. Like it's so we have a lot of compassion for George from, you know, down the block. And <laughs> Sorry, Joey hates it when I do that. <laughs> we have a lot of compassion for uh, Mr. Martin, and I'm just happy to see that he didn't sound so down on himself. Yes, yeah, the way he was putting it. I just, I just ship him and good mental health. <laughs> That's all. Yes. Uh, I- what else do we have? Okay, Samurai Jack is making a comeback this year. Apparently, Adult Swim is going to be airing the uh, four seasons leading up to it, and then it's going to be new from there on out. Uh, yes, I think. Okay, so I put this on the news because I'm super excited about this. <laughs> like, I don't know about you guys, but I loved Samurai Jack. It I was never one of. It. Oh man, it was so good. You need to watch it. It's really, really, really excellent. Um, it's about a a white samurai. <laughs> a samurai named Jack oh who gets God. um displaced in time by a demon named Aku, who um and this creates like a dystopian future. So Jack is trying to time travel his way back to his appropriate timeline and battle the demon Aku. And the animation is really interesting and the characters are awesome. And I'm so excited so for is, is he a like fifth and final a season. Samurai from the Shogunate era? Yes. Named Jack? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Do you think that's like an anachronism or something, Julia? No, I'm not, I'm not going to like, you know, stereotype Japanese people and their names. That, all right. I'm just- <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited for you. I, I'm more in Julia's camp where I did not watch this as well. Ah, uh, no, that's right. His name, his name isn't actually Jack. Um, but that's what uh-oh. the people call him. Okay. When that he arrives sense. in the future, they call him Jack. Why do they call and him so Jack? He, Cause it's slang, I guess. That's just like, hey, person, probably like John Smith. I think if hey, I remember Jack. correctly. Hey, Guevara. Yeah. It, yeah. It's kind of what it is. Like, hey, Jack. Like, hey, human being or, Whatever. And so he adopts it as his name. I don't think we ever actually learn his real name. He just goes by Samurai Jack. Um, so it's, I really liked it. I'm super excited about it. The fourth season ended without resolution or resolution ish, but not enough for a lot of fans. So the fifth and final season is going to apparently wrap things up and. So, yeah, starting the 14th of this month, Adult Swim is going to be airing the previous episodes of the previous seasons. And then sometime later this year, they're going to be um, fil- airing season five. So for all of you out there who like this show like me, yay! 
Yeah, like, you know, I hear the whole member berries nostalgia trap thing, but at the same time, I always just get excited when old fandoms get, like, mm-hmm. a little something. Yes. Get to get going again, Speaking you know, of it's old kind fandoms, of how- Pixar. No. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, so this is just a brief point. I had to put this on the list because <laughs> there has been a very weird swing lately in anti-millennial based media we're the worst where baby boomers and gen xers i'm pretty sure are in the writers rooms and just like getting Mm -hmm. mad about everything so there's that like one show on cbs but cbs like let's be honest it's cbs so it's already the big bang uh, theory crowd and all that but cars 3 you know a children's movie is going to be all about millennial entitlement yep with like jackson is the evil like technologically forward car who was born with a quote silver spoon in his mouth and like he's like right okay and he's like off to make lightning mcqueen obsolete yes (laughs) why the hell are you using cars as your platform for this for a kids movie it's cars (laughs) and and they both go and train under this young um sleek female car who apparently whips them into shape why do cars have gender i don't know all i remember all i know of the cars franchise and i don't know if this is in cars one or cars two and i'm sorry for not knowing these details i had a fever and i was in a best buy once and i kind of (laughs) like wandered into that home video section and like sat down on a chair and it was playing one of the cars movies and all i remember is that like this isn't even funny they're just talking whatever their cars and then suddenly the work truck comes up like the truck that's going to be doing the migrant labor and the truck has a mexican accent (laughs) i'm like are you fucking kidding me with this but it could just be my my fever imagined it too stereotypes i just don't understand the point of shaming children about like a younger generation why why would why yeah this doesn't like this is a weird audience for this movie mm-hmm. a midlife crisis movie yeah yeah a midlife crisis anti-younger generation movie is targeted for kids well, and there's ways there's ways to hour. boil down the whole like you know throw away culture respect your elders message without actually being mean to millennials but i don't know it's just misaimed. uh then maybe it's a third movie franchise thing because like something similar was in Toys Three, I think. Toy I think Story Story yeah, Toy Story Three, yeah. Toy, Toy Story, Story Three was did it well. <laughs> yeah, but it was the same idea of like a like aging out, we're getting old, mm-hmm. younger generation thing. This is making me really scared for How to Train Your Dragon Three, but I'm pretty sure it's being put off indefinitely. I think it's like 2019 now, so yeah. whatever. Um, the last bit of news, which is actually going to segue nicely into our first segment, is uh, Woody Harrelson was cast in a major role for the Han Solo movie. Yep. Uh, He's probably going to be Tarkin. <laughs> <laughs> they have CGI Tarkin. What, what more do they need? Yeah, no, there's no exact news yet on which role, and there's a lot of fan speculation, which I don't know because I didn't read that much of the extended universe. Um, but apparently people are talking about what role they think he's going to fill. I think my biggest fear 
is, and I have no issues with them dipping into the EU stuff, but I think my biggest fear is that they're going to be too reliant on like established characters from the original trilogy. Mm. We already know Lando's going to be in that. And I, you know, they do have a history that Mm. makes sense. But if we've also got like the huts coming into this, or God forbid, if Boba Fett appears (gasps) in this damn thing. Oh my gosh. He probably will. I bet you like a million dollars that Boba Fett's going to be in it. Right. And then everyone will be like, oh, it made their Jedi interaction so much more significant. I'm like, no, it didn't. He's just some bozo. Anyway. Oh, my God. But that does segue nicely. Guess you can't judge me anymore. I never said you had to be perfect. We have a very, very special double-length segment for you. Right. Which, normally we try to avoid having such a focused episode, Mm -hmm. but this is Star Wars. This is Rogue One being released. There's a lot to talk about, and, you know, it's pretty general nerdum appeal, I think. I hope. <laughs> so So we all saw Rogue One and yes. I, I mean Gretchen and I liked it. I'm not sure about Kylie. Kylie's having this like roller coaster of emotions about it. <laughs> I liked it. I didn't dis I walked out of it and I was like I didn't dislike the, it. The one thing I we didn't... all agreed on was that it needed at least one more draft. Yes. So at least we decided to offer our services to Disney. <laughs> Give us a call. Yep. We have uh, yeah, because instead of just t- picking it apart mm-hmm. and like or yelling at each other about, well, I liked this character, but I didn't like that's you know, there's so many videos like this already, mm-hmm. uh, especially Red Letter Media. Like, if you want to hear every issue with the movie, just watch <laughs> Red- anything Red Letter Media says about it, mm-hmm. you'll get it. It's fine. Um, Jenny Nicholson also did a very good uh, video that with a kind of inflammatory title, which I think she did for as a joke, but it was just a good video talking about the flaws. So if you're interested, do seek those out. We're kind of trying to be more positive approaching it from like a writer creative standpoint. Mm -hmm. But to also be positive, first, let's say something nice about Rogue One. (laughs) No, seriously, like it was fine. I really enjoyed it. Do you want to start? I get to go first. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, well, you enjoyed it. Okay, so... (laughs) The thing that I really, really liked was something that really, really bugged me in the original trilogy, especially, like, you know, as I got older and I got more into the expanded universe and, like, you know, I grew up, basically, is the tone, right? Because you think about, like, what's going on in the original trilogy. You have this, like, ragtag group of, like, insurgents. Insurgencies are never nice things. Like, no matter how good your cause is, it's not something that's nice and it's not something that anyone ever comes out of with clean hands. Right. Mm. It's at least not clean is what I was yeah. going to say. But you have these, like, squeaky clean heroes with their, like, pure white ships, you know? And, like, <laughs> Luke Skywalker is, like, so pure that he never gets angry, you know? <laughs> when he does, it leads to the dark side because there's this, like, weird Lucas-esque moral absolutism thing going on. Well, even Han, like, mm-hmm. you know, he's the he's the morally ambiguous one and he's, like, hugging teddy bears I, in the third yeah. movie. Like, he's he's, like, a criminal, and but he's still, like, you know, he's, yeah, he's, he's Mr. Rebel alliance and he's all like you know upstart but he's a lovable rogue exactly <laughs> the thing that rogue one really got right was just that tone of like these are essentially like terrorists you know terrorists with a cause that you can sympathize mm-hmm. with but mm-hmm. there are people who are willing who are willing to do very bad things like the first scene where we see like uh <clears throat> the hot guy what's his face Cassian. 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 <laughs> like one of the first things he does is he like shoots the informant dead you know, because mm-hmm. he was preventing him from being able to escape. And, like, that's the kind of shit that people like that would do. I mean, they, they wouldn't necessarily be happy about it. 
Right. But, you know, right. I mean, th- they are fighting against oppressors. Yeah. So there is that mm-hmm. element, but it is a very ends justify the means exactly. thing. And those means aren't always going to be just like... time, at least in like, you know, mainstream, like Star Wars material that right. I got that sense mm-hmm. that like, this is like, it's... It's, well, it's all gritty and realistic, I suppose you can say, but, like, not in the bad way that that's usually said. <laughs> right. Right. Totally. I think that that, yeah, I totally agree. I think that worked really well. Yeah. And, like, there's there's so much, there was also, like, so much more just, like, military, like, the military aspect of the Alliance was a lot more prevalent than it usually is. Yeah. So they usually mm-hmm. try to, like, kind of whitewash and smooth that away. Like, even oh, yeah, in, even was, in The Force what- Awakens, like, it didn't really feel like this was, like, a military thing going on. Right. What was Cass- Cassian had that one line where he told Jin, "We don't all have the luxury of." Uh, oh, <laughs> damn it! That was such a good line. Um, it was like we don't have we don't all have the luxury of like picking our battles or like mm-hmm. putting yeah, our head yeah, in the yeah. sand. Was the idea was like the, 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 when like he couldn't just like you know he he was given an order and he couldn't just pick and choose which ones he would. Follow. Yeah, right. He couldn't just walk away. It was when she was yelling at him after yeah. the dad thing, I think. But yeah, no, that was that was really effective too. Yeah. I think I think there was uh, it, it's not necessarily moral ambiguity because obviously the empire is evil. Yeah, like, like you know you have like it's kind of like World War Two. Like it sucks that we have to fight this giant war, but like but it know, just it's it wasn't whitewashed, it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, gotcha. we gotcha. don't all have the luxury of deciding when and where to care about something. Yes, that was it. Which was just such a great line. Yeah, and I think, you know, this is also sort of tangentially related to tone the line that Jin said when she was saying, you don't see the Empire's flags if you just look down. And I think really showing that oppression that, you know, the people not in the Alliance were experiencing and what that felt like. And that was because there was no focus on anyone outside the Alliance or Empire in Mm-hmm. The original trilogy, and like, even right? Like, but until they blow up Alderaan, like you don't really get a sense of anything bad that the Empire's done. I right. mean, I guess they they killed Aunt Peru, but <laughs> <laughs> and Uncle Owen, yeah. <laughs> Who cares about it? <laughs> All right, Gretchen, Gretchen, what worked for you? Uh, well, what worked? I really, really liked the secondary characters, and I know that both of you were not didn't get as emotionally attached to them, but I have a lot of. Emotional attachment to all of them. <clears throat> I really liked all of the secondary cast. I think did a really excellent job. K2SO has become my new favorite droid. And it, it amazes me that Star Wars does its non-human being characters or its droid characters as well as it does because mm-hmm. I have yet to meet a like droid protagonist that I'm not just like, all right, Childs, you are now mine, and I want to protect you, and I love you. <laughs> yeah, I, I I will say nice things about K2SO. That's I thought he was I, I thought hilarious. He was a little, you know, Marvin the paranoid android, but okay. <laughs> I liked that he was different enough from you could see elements of C3PO, but without the um like nervousness and mildly annoying like. Um, oh, three PS, my boy, with his anxiety attacks, like right, like he well, he's, he's taken seriously as a character, which I don't think three PO ever was. Yeah, K two S O is definitely taken seriously. I I think the one I had I had emotional attachment to Bodhi. I feel like he's not fleshed out well enough, but mm-hmm. I loved Cassian. Cassian Andor quickly became one of my favorites in the movie. Um, I really liked Baze and Chirrut. 
I have extensive, that might be because I have extensive headcanons about them. And which, which is fine. Yeah. Which were it's not necessarily it. depicted on screen, but. I mean, I have Krennic headcanons. It's all fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I loved the extended cast. I think that they were able to create an ensemble that didn't feel like a rehash of the original trio mm-hmm. and also didn't feel wholly out of left field, if it makes sense. They had that nice balance of like, these characters fit in this world. They create a lot of nuance because one of the things that I really like about Bayes and Turret is they give us a more of a look into non-Jedi experiences of the Force. The Force is mm-hmm. a spirituality and a religion, rather, th- which it is. Mm-hmm. It is a religion and it is a spirituality. And I like that there are... They created more characters this movie who have different relationships to the Force than just being a Jedi or not. That it's not that black and white. And I appreciate that level of world building. And again, like The Force Awakens, I love it. And I love Finn and Rey. And you can pry them from my cold, dead hands. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, like what we got with The Force Awakens is we got a Jedi and we got a pilot and we got a rogue. Which is, which is the original trio, a Jedi and a pilot, like a Jedi and a rogue and a politician. Um, and that's pretty much what we got with The Force Awakens. And here we get to see characters mm-hmm. who fit different roles. And I liked that. They were different without being, um, obnoxiously different. Like it didn't feel like they were trying to just be like, well, we're not going to ever have a pilot again. <laughs> like, like Cassian is a pilot, but he's also not Han Solo and he's also mm-hmm. not Poe Dameron. Right. So that was what I really, I, the characters worked for me. I mean, in terms of composition, I think I agree. Mm. In terms of like, like, you know, the cast, I think for sure. Yeah. I, I think for me, well, we'll get into this a little later. It's just for me, I didn't really get a sense of camaraderie with them mm. or, and I, I didn't imprint on any of them, <laughs> if you will. KTSO, KTSO was definitely, you know, I think the most successful for me because he actually had an arc. Mm. Uh, Cassian is probably the second strongest, in my opinion. Um, probably because of that ambiguous, uh, murder at the beginning, Julia. Mm. And that he actually, like, had some struggles. Uh, but yeah, like, I don't, I see where you're coming from. I just Mm. think I had a different experience. Oh, totally. Uh, yeah, what worked for me, um, this is, I wrote a kind of long piece on this, but what worked for me the best was the, Basically, they put a lot of really interesting balls in the air. Mm. And every single one of the balls that they tossed up, I loved. I kind of felt like every single one of them splatted. (laughs) And that was that. But, okay, they tried to craft a movie with a protagonist, a female protagonist, who is driven by daddy issues, first of all, (laughs) and has, like, misconceptions about her father. That she then goes and gets over, and that becomes her guiding motivation. So, number one, that was, like, a thing they did. They tried to have corporate drama <laughs> in the Empire that starred Grand Moff Tarkin. <laughs> the logistics of uh, large-scale construction projects, yeah. Yes, all the logistics. Like, they could have easily been talking about Project Manager Krennic. <laughs> really exciting. They tried to have engineering drama. 
<laughs> which is something I'm always, always going to love, uh, just with my background as, a, as an engineer. And they also, the fourth thing is that they tried to focus on the little guy, right? The guy, not necessarily even outside the Empire and the Rebellion, which we did see a glimpse of that with Jin, but more the cogs in the smaller rebel machines, right? Mm-hmm. These aren't the people that are interacting with the princess who has some kind of authority for some reason. <laughs> These are the people that, like, Mon Mothma's giving orders to. Nothing against Mon Mothma, either. She's delightful. <laughs> I felt bad that she was in the exact same role as she had in Jedi. I was like, seriously, you, you cast someone so perfectly as Mon Mothma, and then you expand her in no way? But, yeah. Like, I went to see her, I went to see outfit. her arguing. What? She doesn't have a new outfit. <laughs> I went to see her arguing with CGI Leia, like, something. <laughs> Uh, my, like, Leia Mama Mothma headcanons are insane, so... Maybe Mama Mothma and Barristan Selmy could have had it out, like, anything. Yeah. But, no, so I I love absolutely everything they put in the air, and I, when I say I'm, when I feel harsh on this movie, it's really coming from a place of love, because mm-hmm. I think this movie could have had it all. I really do. It could have right. been something really amazing, but then, the yeah, then it was just an action set piece. Yeah, I think that's what it was. We get to the planet where, you know, they're stealing the plans and I realized the climax of the movie was happening and I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, and your point about it being an action set piece, I think, brings up a really interesting question, which there's an article going around, which we'll link to, that describes Mm -hmm. the actual writing process of this (sighs) film. Oh, my God. When all three of us read it, we were like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) This is... But this is apparently how this is done in Hollywood. It's apparently very normal to craft your action sequences and determine how long those are going to take and then Mm -hmm. build your dialogue around them. I mean, like, it's one thing to do that, like, in the writer's room while you're, like, you know, still doing that thing with the post-its that you move around. But, like, (laughs) when you're filming? Yeah, like, because that's what it was. They were having directors... Going out and scoping and being like, you were going to have exactly 15 minutes, blah, 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 like, and, and already getting pieces of the movie shot. Right. That's what I could, yeah, that's like, what I could Lots of people believe. plan their plots backwards. Lots of people write stories, like, you know, piecemeal all over the place. But it's just like, while you're spending millions of dollars filming, it blows yeah. my mind. To me, and I know, I know I'm not as compelled by just turn your brain off, enjoy the action mm-hmm. kind of movies. Sometimes I am, but you know, for me, that's not usually what I look for. But it still seems fundamentally backwards to me that you don't at least plot that around the characters first. That those aren't the sort of immutable set pieces. Here's the character arcs, and then you make the action fit to that. It's just weird. Well, and that's part of the problem, is that in the same article, the the very same people who are talking about how they wrote this, this the way that Hollywood normally writes action movies, talk about how much they perceive this movie as being a character-driven movie. And, right. like, you can't have both of those things at once, dude. Like, if you're... if you're, <laughs> And I say dude because these are dudes. Like, if you are writing this as an action so we movie... we call each other dude literally all the time. <laughs> but I just, just want to say, like, they're also literally dudes. Yes. Um... <laughs> They, they were men males. working on this piece, yes. Yeah, yes. They are- which which explain which is I think that's it's it's not that men can't write women, but the, here are three women. We are compelled by strong female protagonists, and not one of us said a positive thing about Jin or so yet, other than the concept behind her was cool. Yes, exactly. Because I am very ambivalent about her. 
I'm more like, that's one area where I totally agree with you. I think the concept of her was much better than the execution of her. Because the execution of her ended up just being, let's put a lot of eyeliner on her so we know she's jaded. And then she's going <laughs> to, then she's going to rescue a baby. And then she's going to listen to a hologram and her whole life changes. <laughs> And then she's going to give a Hopi changey speech to all of the rebellion. It's like, I don't think she should have been doing this on that scale. It would, it would be fine if she's suddenly more inspired as time goes on, but narrow it down, focus it, have it, have it be about her and her team, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And that really is, I think, the problem of, of writing this as an action movie is that if your focus is the action, then you're minimizing dialogue. But you develop character by dialogue. So your characters are going to be really thin if you're not crafting your story around developing them. Then they're going to end up being thin and flat and and not have a lot of depth. Right. Like, I'm thinking about the best action films. And they're going to touch you more if the characters are fully realized. Right. That's the thing. What are the best action films? I'm like I'm trying to think because I'm only thinking of the ones that do this poorly, right? I'm thinking of like Transformers that does this the, the other way. Like, well, those well, aren't. Empire Strikes characters. Back had some very good action sequences, but I wouldn't call that an action mm. film. Like, I don't know, Die Hard One versus Die Hard Four. This is like really. I'm just trying to. Do you guys think of Gla- do you, Would you think of Gladiator as an action movie? You could. You could make that argument. And I think what and like I Winter love Gladiator. Soldier? Yeah. When, yeah. Like, those are action movies, but, like, they rely on characterization. Well, c- think about the better Marvel films, actually. Winter Soldier is a perfect example. Because Winter Soldier is so successful in a way that I think, like, Avengers wasn't. Mm-hmm. Because it, it just, it's not these people. Or, or like, the first Thor, which is lulzy, and, you know, <laughs> the first Thor, it's still better than the second Thor, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because it's just not focused around the smashy smashies. It just, I don't know, I, I guess these aren't good examples because I don't tend to watch, like Pacific Rim wasn't bad, but I don't tend to watch a lot of just the, the staple action movies. I could just tell you when it's done wrong. Right. And the only action movies I tend to see nowadays are like the ones from the 80s and 90s that show up on one of my like off-brand cable channels that I watch to laugh at and make fun of. So there's really not a lot good in those. <laughs> I just, it so just I, seems yeah. weird to me that your action has to be rooted in something, something character. Right. Right? Like, characters make everything. Right. I mean, the one thing that I could think to compare this to, of course, because I'm me, is Supergirl, which, like... <laughs> we love you. I know. I can't we, stop we talking need, about it. We need an internet law that, like, the longer a conversation goes on with Gretchen, the <laughs> higher the chances that Supergirl gets mentioned. It's true. Like, yeah. it's not even a lie. Um, but, like, that is arguably within that genre because it's a superhero show. Like, superhero shows are typically action shows. And I think where Supergirl gets it right is the focus is on the characters. And then when you write the characters well, then the action sequences oh. are just, like, the cherry on top is you get these great dialogue scenes. You get great characterization. And then you're like, oh, sweet. Now you just see Supergirl beat the crap out of like the villain that's awesome because we know that she's struggling with her anger right now and trying to figure out how to sublimate it like that's what makes it interesting is because the action sequences are ways that are situations where the characters that we love are involved in 
rather than being the focus. Yeah, and I think Legend of Korra is a perfect example of the stuff to Avatar also. Uh, mm-hmm. Crossroads of the Destiny is basically mm-hmm. an entire episode fight, but right. it's the stakes are high. But I would also say, case in point of this, is Game of Thrones, if you compare Blackwater, the Battle yeah. of Blackwater, mm-hmm. and how gripping that was, even with like some of the weird book characterization stuff going on. It's like, where do these book characters come from? Like, the season where Cersei's about to poison her kid, like, holy shit, I was on the edge of my seat. Compare that to, you know, Hard Home. Or Battle of the Bastards. Or Battle of the Bastards, where it's just, and here is the action. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well then, all right. Yeah. And it just, it feels different, because it's it's not about, like... Like, your appreciation is purely aesthetic at that point. Right. Especially Hard Home, because at least Battle of the Bastards pretended to be about John's point of view a little bit. <laughs> But Hard Hope was just so baldly like, and now the White Walker showed up. I'm like, oh, God. Okay. Well, I think <laughs> if we're going to be an internet rule about me talking about Supergirl, we're going to have one about you guys talking about Game of Thrones. So. <laughs> I think that's fair. But <laughs> as long as it's not a drinking game, we don't want to kill people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think, I do think, though, with Rogue One, it is worth that consideration. For right. This is a really, they went about it in a really strange way, and I'm not sure why disney chose to do that with the star wars franchise when it's it to me it's kind of obvious that force awakens was very character led yeah i would be floored if this was their process and even in the interviews the guy was like oh yeah it's kind of like a rubik's cube like i don't think that's how movie production should be or crafting a story right yeah that you should be just like puzzling out where to fit scenes together after they're shot i mean right yeah, that makes no sense. And that's also why there's so much footage in the trailer mm. that didn't make it on the screen, which I don't care about. I really am not up on that stuff, but apparently it was like half the trailer didn't make it in. Yeah, because they did reshoots and changed the story. I wonder why. It was something with Jen's character, I know that. But uh, yeah, let's play script, Doctor. <laughs> Yay. All right. All right, so we're going to go around the circle, and we're <laughs> going to name one thing, either major or minor, that we would change if we had the chance. Can I go first, yes. teacher? <laughs> I'm going to suggest a major change. Mm-hmm. I'm going to suggest a change that is in no way lucrative, but it is the most necessary change possible. Mm. This should not have been a movie. This should have been a miniseries. Boom. Mm. <laughs> I'm not wrong. You're not. Allow, allow this stuff to be explored. Because if you're going to give Jin double daddy issues, first of all, in a two-hour film, where one hour's action, then we need to have more of an understanding, right? There just was right. not enough time to explore everything. A miniseries would have allowed us to get deeper. It would have allowed us to see more character interaction between the team. It might have been a really slow two or three episodes, but I actually kind of liked the first half better. I know people were bored. I didn't think it was that boring. I yeah. was kind of like, huh, I wonder what bored. they're going to do. Mm-hmm. I certainly wasn't bored. Didn't know people yeah, had that So it seems to be your complaint is actually that they put too much into the movie. Yeah, it either needs major streamlining, mm-hmm. and we can talk about how to streamline it if we want to do that, or it needs more time to gel. And, you know, like everything Gretchen was saying about these side characters, I want to feel that way about them. Mm-hmm. And I think if I'd just been with them a little bit longer, I would have. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know... An hour and 15 and we're already doing the, like, complicated, okay, and now you're turning off this shield and you're sending this email attachment. You're like, oh my god, okay. This is right. happening. Right. So, And I just think it would have allowed it to gel. And, okay, 
I know that there's a book that explores this, but the Krennic-Galen relationship, I needed that explored way more. That totally needed to be expanded. Because that first scene between them, you get the sense that there's like this history, right? Mm -hmm. But then Krennic just like stagnates from there. And it's at the point where at the very last scene where Jin is like, I am, you know, Galen Erso's daughter. He's just kind of like, what yeah, it kind of felt like in The Last Airbender where Katara was all like, I'm the last waterbender in the Southern Water Tribe. <laughs> They're just like, significant? Yeah, but, but the guy that she was saying it to at least had a reaction. Because he's like, oh, I remember wiping out the Water Tribe. Krennic was just kind of like, I wonder if I remembered to turn off the burner or something. Like, he, he just, no reaction. Especially when the weird. first, like, ten minutes of the movie is, like, Krennic being like, he has a daughter, chase her down. Like, which also made no sense, in a way, because Galen, like, agreed. I mean, whatever. You, there's there's rationalizations we can do. Totally. My whole point is that I think that they could have been really interesting dynamics between those two. Right. Or... It could have been streamlined in other ways, but I just I just feel like there needed to be more than two hours to allow these tensions to gel so that when we're finally getting to that suicide mission, we're feeling this doom and we're feeling upset that our heroes are going off to die. Right. I just, as they were dying, I kind of, like, I'm sorry, this is bad, but as, as Chira and Baze and Bodhi all died basically within a, like, 10 minute window, I just remember kind of being like, I, I don't, I feel nothing. I don't care. I could not care less. Mm. And I, and I know they're your boys and I know you like them, but. That's okay. Just, I, I felt things. I, I think I could have. I just needed more time. So that, that right. is the one suggestion I would Gretchen. make. All right. My suggestion would be that you mentioned that they tried to give her double father daughter issues, double daddy issues. I think that the film would have worked better if Saw had been the focus, the main focus of Jin's complicated father-daughter dynamic. Oh. Fascinating. I think that in the very beginning, I think especially because the way they set it up with Galen, he tells her to her face, everything I do is for my family to keep you safe. So she knows that no matter what happens, like she's told as a little girl that everything her father does is ultimately like she he basically tells her he's going undercover as a as a double agent right. and that he secretly is good all along so she knows this so i don't understand why that would be a she lot didn't of she have a angst. ton of reason to doubt him right she he doesn't give her any reason to doubt him i think that's a flaw whereas itself, but okay um where i think that saw as the one who rescued her and then took care of her for the next however many years of her life and then from what little we were given abandons her on a mission like i think that that would have been much more dramatic for her like much more of a triggering experience for her to have the person who rescued her then abandon her well when, she was the one who, like any, raised her right and without she doesn't know why he does abandon her until the movie. So, and from what we're given, that's like 10 years ago. So she spent 10 years believing that the man who rescued her from the Empire just mm-hmm. like up and left her. And to me, that's a much stronger basis for her psychology. And I think that if they had yeah. developed that relationship... I think that would have also would have been more interesting to then have Jin more closely aligned with the extremists 
which I think also would have made her arc stronger. The move from like extremist because she lived with Saw for so long to being like hope, change, yay, save people. <laughs> like that's a stronger arc than like meh, I don't care to oh yeah, maybe I should do something. <laughs> like yeah, well cuz the probably the weakest part of the film for me was Okay, so Saw tells her, this is why I abandoned you, and then her eyes, like, fill with tears, and she's, you know, whatever. (laughs) Moved, I guess. But then, like, ten minutes later, she's listening to the hologram, and her eyes fill with tears, and she's moved, I guess. And and this was result, like, back to back. Right. And then Saw dies, like, three seconds later, for no reason. Yep. And and apparently, like, Saw's death doesn't, we don't see an emotional impact. No! Which, again, I feel like if that relationship had been more of the focus of her like her struggle then that would have made like her choice to like i think that would have been a stronger motivation or enhanced her motivation to like make the choices she did is like the man that i believed abandoned me like i finally get resolution with him and have finally for like reforged our relationship only to lose him again like fuck fuck it i'm just gonna like Fine, I'm gonna go on this crazy suicide mission and probably die. Like, that you know, is really compelling to me. Cause, cause hearing you lay it out, for me, watching it, what I was thinking was, this is an extraneous character, Saw. Yeah. Get him out and clean up the mess that is Jin and Galen's <laughs> scripting. Right. But, Julia, I, if the changes that Julia would make is what I think they're gonna be, I think you should go. <laughs> yes. No, well, my, my change is, like, as major as yours guys' changes. My change is basically, like, to streamline the entire focus of the movie because I don't, like, I know it's supposed to be Jin What's-Her-Face's movie, but, like... Urso. Sorry, Jin Urso's movie. But <laughs> this whole thing where, like, you know, she goes from a rogue to, like, you know, hopey-changey, Miss Rebellion kind of thing. In three yeah, seconds! Yeah, it, it seems like it's way too much for that one movie. And there's this bizarre situation where you have a bunch of people, who are all dudes for some reason, volunteering for the suicide mission, and you only kind of know one of them? Like, that's a little <laughs> weird to me. So, <laughs> what I want to know is... I would change the focus to a Jin who's already part of the rebellion, at least mm-hmm. like you know, at least nominally, and have the entire focus focus be on this like kind of you know the intelligence that they've gathered and how they react to it and the kind of the conflicts within the rebellion and in how to mm-hmm. react to that situation. So it's it's less about her becoming a rebel and more about like you know the implications of her rebelness, I guess you can say. Ooh. And, no, I like yeah, that. Yeah, and then you can have, like, you can have, like, and instead of, like, you know, I'd like, I'd like the two uh, obviously married force guys. I'm sorry, I can't remember any of these people's <laughs> names. It's embarrassing. But, like, cheer it and base, dude. Like, give them their own movie. Like, they're good. They just, I'm not sure they belong in this movie, you know? And have... Have it be about the rebellion in a very kind of like way that we've never seen before. Mm, and as kind of a corollary to that, I would also like, com- uh, you know, kind of schmush all of these like different father figures and all of these like kind of personifications of the empire <laughs> together into one character. So you have Galen, you have Pranic, and like even maybe Tarkin. Have them all like in one character 
and have him not be this, like, you know, weird mole who does everything that's asked him upset. He makes the the reactor have one flaw so it blows up or something. Instead of that, have oh him be, God. like, a well-intentioned extremist. And, you know, Jin's kind of central conflict is kind of, the you know, to make up for the fact that her father is this person who has been doing so much bad right. in the galaxy. This is this is what Julia and I were talking mm-hmm. about immediately. Yeah. Where we, because to us, cut out Saw, I didn't even consider what you were uh, pitching. That's a perfectly Gretchen, good I, direction. I just completely I like the direction it, yeah. you're going in. Yeah. But no, cut, yeah. cut out Saw mm-hmm. and make Galen Hiroshi Sato. Yeah. Make and him also Krennic. <laughs> and also, well, yeah, you don't need both of them. Mm-hmm. You only need one project administrator. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because if you're taking out this whole thing about how, like, you know, her, her, how she becomes a rebel, you don't need both of them. Oh. And right. maybe she can still even confront him and just mm-hmm. be like, how could you do this? And he'd be like, you need to see, like, this is necessary for stability. This is, I'm keeping everyone safe. Yeah. I well, promise to keep you extremist. safe. And this is how I'm doing it. Yeah. You know, something like that. But then, like, her whole thing, the reason she volunteers mm-hmm. is a lot different. And then you don't have an engineer whose only dumbass <laughs> plan was to have a fatal flaw that requires two fucking suicide missions to execute. Yeah. Like that, as you've pointed out elsewhere, isn't really a fatal flaw. No, it's a fucking exhaust port. They didn't need to explain it. <laughs> and like, there's another. There is this one moment where they have that meeting with Jin and Mon Mothma and the intelligence general dude. And Mon Mothma gives uh, what's his? Oh, so, so, so bad at this. The hot guy. She gives him, like, orders. Cassie. Yeah, to, to extract Galen. And then the intelligence general dude just says, like, no, if you see him, kill him. Like, that conflict! I want to know about that conflict! <laughs> you know? Yeah. I want to know about, like, you know, the people in the alliance who are like, no, we have to be, like, you know, on the up and up, perfectly legitimate tactics at all times. And the other people who are like, we're a fucking rebellion, we have to act like it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's, like, Yeah. And I think they were going for that, but there's sometimes, not enough. Sometimes they're going for that. Sometimes. sometimes. That's the problem. Probably yeah, but you're right. There's not the enough. They could have made that the central focus mm-hmm. of the movie. And like you said, probably cut out a lot of really extraneous Yeah. But you have, things. you have a good point about like, you know, the, the Temple of the Wills and how that's a very, it's a very good thing to explore and something that really expands the world. Just, I would I'm say not, it's, it's like the one bit of world building this movie did. I'm not sure why they shoved it all into one movie. I mean, if they're going to do the standalone thing, like, you know. Yeah, we're going to be getting a lot of Star Wars movies, aren't we? It's going to be like Marvel. Yep. That's fine if they're good, you know. Right. right. Having lots of movies in one franchise isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think part of it with, with Bayes and Chirrut, I think... This is my guess, so I may be entirely wrong. Is that uh, we have no Jedi's in this film? We have and that's no. A bad thing, apparently. Yeah, I think that that I think actually that might have been the thought process. Was like, well, we don't have Jedi's, so we have to have some other cool forcey people, and this is what they came up with. Which they're awesome characters. I love them. I think they're amazing, and I want to know everything about their life. Um, but I think that's, yes, they're like, that's basically canon to me is that they're married. But I think that was the reasoning was that you can't have a Star Wars movie without some kind of force sensitive or force adjacent character. That's, that's like a necessary component of a Star Wars movie. They have elements of like, you know, the force as a spirituality with Jin. 
that they could have yeah. expanded on if that's something they, they had to have. Like, have her be like the weird religious rebel. Like, I don't <laughs> know. I feel like I feel like it's becoming a crutch for mm-hmm. them because this was a movie to explore the little guys. I don't think they needed to be connecting it to the you know usual model that they have. I guess mm-hmm. they could have just had rebel drudges. Yeah, and you know, Julia, as much as you want to combine Galen and Krennic, they could have also not combined these characters and had all three of them, like Tarkin too, mm-hmm. being imperial together and having imperial infighting and getting into corporate bureaucracy because i think that's wonderful <laughs> and i think hilarious. all three of us agree that vader was just not necessary <laughs> yeah that was he was just the worst part yeah, of it like we don't, don't understand why he just hangs it on mustafar <laughs> like he is an enforcer gretchen you brought yeah. that up in the comment section of my p it, it makes sense that he's around but why there is any focus on him and why there is that one hilarious scene where he's like threatening Krennic. I mean, like Red Letter uh... Media has this really good point. Uh, I think it was in their episode three review about how like Vader has slowly taken over Star Wars because like in the first movie, he was just some, like he was just like the Empire's enforcer. He was just like some asshole. And then like all of a sudden he's space Jesus. And now like you can't yep. have a movie that has nothing to do with him without him in it. Well, right. and, you know, actually, my stepmom brought up a good point, too, where, you know, Star Trek kind of always had Spock as the glue that held them together because of how much Lin- Leonard Nimoy did and just how much he was in, right? So no matter what, there was Spock. But, mm. and I think they're trying, maybe they're trying to replicate that a bit with Vader, but it just doesn't make sense in most of these contexts. Right. And since when does Vader dispense random puns? <laughs> like. <laughs> I think someone I like saw called him like the the pun lord of the Sith, and like <laughs> since when is Vader the pun lord of the Sith? And like, like we have sat through those damn prequels, there was not one pun that came out of that kid's mouth. No. I would have remembered. Yippee! Not not oh, even in the original trilogy. Like yes, he has some iconic lines, mm-hmm. but they're never like punny. It would be unfortunate like, if I had to be the garrison. Right, or, like, impressive. Like, I mean, he has, like, a little sass when he's, like, if this was a weird ambassador. But it's not, he's not funny in any way. No, but that's really all he did was, like, he hangs out on the planet where he was made into (laughs) a quadriplegic and put into a giant metal suit. Like, like he's some emo kid hanging out in a room painted black. (laughs) like and dispenses puns after choking people like how is why why were we focusing on that why were we focusing on him on the planet it's it's a mission it's a suicide mission about the death star plans what does he have to do with this i actually think like so we can get into now how to streamline because this is a perfect way that they could have streamlined the movie would be we'll have to streamline or streamline (laughs) but sure but, like, this is a perfect way to streamline, is that I think it, it actually works a lot better if Vader only comes in at the end. If, like, you have... That this- was the worst scene! No, with the, stu- with the lightsaber, yeah, like, I'm glad that there's the only time they use the lightsaber in the fucking movie, but, like... But if you ha- just had, like, this bureaucratic infighting between Tarkin and Krennic, and then, like, they all mess up, and Vader comes in as the enforcer. See, that's why I think he works, is, like, you have this, like, poli- like the bureaucratic infighting between Krennic and Tarkin, and then Vader is like, all right, y'all, y'all messed up. The Emperor sent me to, like, fix your fuck up. That's why I'm here. The only thing is, Tarkin kind of had rank over him in the first movie, but I hear, I hear where you're coming from. 
And if he had actually yeah, Tarkin had rank over him the first fine. movie, then he's space Jesus. Okay, I was wondering who was holding Vader's leash, <laughs> right? So, so maybe like Tarkin calls him in. Tarkin calls him in at the end to be like, "Yeah, get Krennic out of here because he clearly should not be in charge of this." Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense to me. I think that's <sighs> fair. Julia, any uh, closing thoughts on Rogue One? Um, no, like despite all of my like yelling into the microphone, I really did enjoy it. <laughs> I did too. And there was, there was enough there for me to like, you know, write my fanfic basically in my brain. Where I was going to say, like, I think there's some really compelling fanfic mm-hmm. that I can write my brain about. Mostly it. about Lana actually... and Leia arguing about whether or not to be terrorists. But okay. And for me, it's, <laughs> for me, it's fixing Jin's character. Mm-hmm. And I think what Gretchen was getting at yeah. too with like what, what's really driving her. I think that could have been done a lot better, mm-hmm. but I think, I think there's enough introduced where we can have fun with it, I guess. But, you know, for a first standalone film, I at least have to applaud Star Wars for that tone that they did hit. Right, right. And Bail Organa. I'm sorry, I love Bail Organa. And I just, I love everything he's in. I like, I I almost screamed when Jimmy Smith was on on my screen. That was amazing. Yeah, so. That said, there was a dearth of female characters. Yeah, why wasn't anybody in the Suicide Squad female? I mean, that is so misogynistic only one who noticed that every single person who volunteered for the suicide mission was a man. That's so like Return of the Jedi, like just ugh. I right. mean Jin is not a good enough Smurfette, I'm yeah. sorry. There like it's it's twenty sixteen. There shouldn't be Smurfettes. No. There's no reason to do that. Mm. I mean we actually know that there were female pilots. There were female pilots in the, the movie, they just weren't any female pilots on the ground team. Well, yeah, yeah, like we know, and there were, we also know that there were female pilots filmed for a couple of the original trilogy movies, but their scenes were cut. Yeah. Oh, naturally. Yeah. So this feels like the perfect time to correct the whole idea that the soldiers are all male. Yeah. I mean, they did give us any white male protagonists, I guess. So for the second movie, kudos. Yes. Yeah. Kudos for that. Yeah. So definitely kudos, but you know, the gender, dis- the, like the gender breakdown is, Still not I mean, especially great. like after the Force Awakens, where like you know we we talked about how exciting it was just to have like you know female moops in the background, <laughs> you know? right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. The Force Awakens did much better mm. with having your the the random background. Yeah, just like people pushing buttons, about but they're 50, women, 50. and it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, just like Carrie Fisher's daughter, daughter chilling exactly. there. Exactly. Like, yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Anyway, we gotta no. move on. We're way over time in this segment, and it's a double length segment. <laughs> we are. There's always more we can say. Mm-hmm. Ho- hopefully. This was coming from a good place, but the last segment. Well, Julia, you're heading this one up, aren't you? Um, no, you are, because we're opening with you reading your fanfic. <laughs> we are calling this segment, um, last week we did This Needs to Die. Mm. This segment is I Watched a Thing, <laughs> or Played a Thing. In this case. <clears throat> or Read a Thing, yeah. whatever it is. So, what... What is this that we're talking about? Well, you might guess from our logo, <laughs> our old logo, we replaced it, but what it is. But I'm going to read a bit of fanfic that I wrote as an introduction to the segment. <laughs> Why are you making me do this? Because we love you. Yes. The working title is A Vile World. The judge bangs his gavel three times, though there's still a murmur in the court. Doesn't matter. The one word I've been waiting for sounds clearly. Guilty. Suddenly, I'm reminded of Robin Banks's warning that he spit in my direction while being led away in handcuffs. I'll appeal this if I'm found guilty. 
if I'm still in jail. I walk onto the San Francisco block and fumble for my cigarettes, almost forgetting the damned ban. What I wouldn't give to be back in Cairo, and there were words I never thought I'd find myself saying. Prosecutor catches up with me. Acme's finest. At least, she better be with that retainer fee of hers. It was good work, she says, bringing a hand to her eyes to shield out the sun. Apparently it's the first clear day in two weeks, what I wouldn't give to spend more than a few hours in my so-called home. It was too easy, too small. There's something not adding up. You made fast work of that warrant, and the exchange student's testimony was rock solid. She was a good find, even by your standards. Take the win, investigator. Yes, such a win. I'm sure the people of South Korea are thrilled to have that kimchi recipe back. I give a hollow laugh. What does it mean, counselor? She frowns and purses her lips. I just prosecute the cases, okay? From what I know of Vile, it's all about the thrills for them. A high-tech thieves' guild or some nonsense. You're doing good work, putting an end to it. I'm doing grunt work. How many hop flights from Singapore to Jakarta will it take before the boss gets that? Then you should take it up with him. I'm sure he's already got a new case for you. (laughs) Every hamster needs a wheel. I can feel an exhaustion set again. I wonder if I'll at least be able to sleep my nine hours in my own damn bed tonight. Business class seats hardly help the back. We all have parts to play, investigator. She narrows her eyes. Unless... You have an idea who's spinning this wheel. I turn to look at her in the face. Hard to tell if there's genuine interest there, if she's just trying to connect the pieces for her own paperwork. It keeps coming back on one question, I tell her. Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Instant classic. My dad liked it. <laughs> Your dad, the profesh writer. <laughs> yeah. So, oh God. Anyway, we started playing Carmen San Diego. Like Kylie set me up with a DOS emulator because I couldn't do it myself because I'm old. So, ironically, <laughs> you are ironically four years older than me. Dear. But ironically, I'm old, so I can't set up an emulator to play old games. You see, but mm. yeah, this is a game that I used to play when I was like a kid, like like ten or twelve. And it's just, like, you would get this, like, crime with this, like, person with a really stupid putty name, stole something, like, ridiculous, like, the Coliseum or, you know, the... Uh, the Dome of the Rock was the case I was given. They stole the Dome or, of the or, Rock. Or, or, like, the <laughs> recipe for tacos from the people of Mexico, something like that. And you would have to go travel the world and look for clues. So, so you would go, like, you know, like, they stole the re- the Dome of the Rock from Jerusalem. So you've tried fly to Jerusalem. And then you get clues, just like, you know, it says, like, interview the translator. And the translator is just like, uh, you know, she said she was going to have some sushi or something. So then you know, oh, next I have to go to Tokyo. <laughs> she had eyes the color of coal. Yeah. <laughs> and so you, you're collecting, like, you're, you're trying, you're, like, you know, hopping around the world trying to like, you know, catch up with this person. And you're also, you also get like stupid clues like that. Like, you know, she really wanted to like, you know, get some, uh, a walking stick on so she could tour the Alps. And, like, oh, okay. So her hobby is mountain climbing and it's a uh-huh. she. And, so, and you had to have enough evidence for a warrant. And then when you caught up with the person, you would arrest them. Yeah. And if you don't have a warrant, then they yell at yeah, you. Yeah. It's like, yeah. By the way, of that entire fic that I just read, I'm proudest of my mention of the hop flight from Singapore to Jakarta because some of these flights that you have to take, it's ridiculous. They made me fly from France to, like, from Paris to London. Like, why am I taking a flight? <laughs> Was the channel built when 
the movie? This is a, a 1990 game. Well, the one that I actually, oh, yeah. the one that I played was uh, like a later version because mine didn't have the USSR anymore, and the one that we played on the emulator actually still had the USSR, <laughs> which was adorable oh, and really confused my son when he tried to I play. Um, <laughs> yeah, the one I played didn't. I think I had the deluxe, which was like 95. Yeah, or so you would, mm-hmm. you would have. Did you have the travel agent with the earrings? No. No. Oh, so no. my version was like a later version that had a travel agent. Maybe there, maybe there was the USSR, and I just didn't notice. I yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so then Kylie, because she's Kylie, took a deep dive into the Carmen Sandiego. Into Carmen. Fandom. Sa- okay, okay. So basically, this podcast is called the Fundamentalist. Uh-huh. So I was trying to like do the mentalist vibe. So I needed a woman in a trench coat for our logo, right? <laughs> and. Only Carmen Sandiego is a woman in a trench coat that you can find easily on the internet. Hey, so that hey, just, that was my idea. That was Gretchen's <laughs> idea, totally. And I said to Gretchen, oh, Carmen Sandiego, she's a gay icon, just kind of jokingly. Uh-huh. But now that I realize every single woman I know who has dated other women kind of had a crush on Carmen Sandiego. I thought every single woman you know who dated other women had a crush on Legolas. That too. <laughs> oh, that's the universal experience. <laughs> but no, it's that Carmen Sandiego, like Katie McGrath jawline kind of thing. Like, uh-huh. Freaking cut ice. So I just kind of was joking around. Oh, you know, Carmen Sandiego is a lesbian, whatever. And then I started reading up on Carmen Sandiego characters for this fic that I'm clearly going to write. <laughs> um, and I stumbled but... across someone named Jules Argent in a, a Wikipedia page, and Jules Argent was described as her former partner because uh, Carmen used to be an Acme agent, and then she this left. Is this like from an animated series or something? Um, there's a whole lot of Carmen Sandiego games, like a lot of different yeah. games that exist. And then there's also that like Carmen Sandiego TV show that was really weird. Yeah, but she there's just a and lot the of the games shows. That exist. The game shows? Oh, I love mm-hmm. the game shows. Yeah, that's that's what I was talking about with Chip Fu and his rhymes. <laughs> But, yeah, Jules Argent was a character from Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? Treasures of Knowledge. And the blurb was, it was only, like, two things that I noticed. One was that she was a former partner of Carmen Sandiego and thought that she was the best agent that Acme's ever had and is very conflicted about how to think about Carmen. So I was like, hmm. And then the last sentence of her bio was literally just, she has a cat. I'm like, okay. (laughs) We need to look into Jules Argent. <laughs> Lo and behold, she could just be a hipster, but she does present in a very um she she's coded. <laughs> she's coded. Well, and she, she, this is before hipster was a thing. So and, and she has like, you know, short hair and glasses and she's coded. She's coded, okay? It's at least there. You can make the argument and she has a cat. And I found this cutscene from this video game that has to be the worst flash animation I've ever seen. It's terrible. It's really bad. And it's Jules Argent and her, like, male partner finally quarter Carbon San Diego who led them to, like, some place that had all these, like, hidden artifacts. And they actually think that maybe she did it to be good, because she's, like, a good person. But it's so weird, because the scene is, like, Jules and Carbon bantering with each other. And meanwhile, the guy is just in the background, like, Carmen San Diego, we caught you. But the the conversation between Carmen and Jules is like, you know, Jules always frustrated that you couldn't figure me out. Yeah. And Jules is like, what are you going to do with us now that you have us here? Oh, God. And and then the straight guy is like, you're coming to jail with me. It's like, (laughs) oh, my God. Dude, let them talk. 
He's very oblivious to the to the subtext. But like, I mean, this is a game. Feel for him. <laughs> it's, this is not a recent game. No, no, this is from all. the nineties. And this is seriously one of the most like tense scenes I've seen between two women in anything. So Carmen Sandiego is officially a uh, woman loving woman, and Jules Argent is a former girlfriend with a cat. And all is right in the world. Well, when you think about it in terms of, like, a lot of times, especially in the 90s, like, the villain protagonist ship is very common. But it's Mm. typically, I think, either you'll have, like, two men with this, like, no homo subtext, or it's, like, a heterosexual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, I think the whole, like, villain protagonist pairings are very common, and so putting two women in a scene with really charged language like that, yeah. I think it's... But like, they often had, like, especially in the 90s, they had the, like, sexy female villain a lot. Oh, and yeah. And it was, like, mm-hmm. to service this trope, I think, more than anything. Uh-huh. Yeah. You had that kind of, like, you know, virgin whore dichotomy with, like, you know, the villain and, you know, the, the designated female love interest. Which is a problem. Like, all of this is a problem. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to say it's not. But I was just trying to prove a point that Carmen Sandiego is not a stranger to the ladies. <laughs> I think what this has really proved, and the Rogue One thing, we can take anything and fanfic it. Like, <laughs> our headcanon <laughs> engines in our brains are out of control. Yeah. I don't know why I wrote that scene that I wrote. It just happened. Because you're awesome. Because you're awesome. I was just doing it to be funny. Yeah, but when Kylie sent this to me, I was like, I didn't know that I needed a noir adaptation of Carmen Sandiego, and now I do. It's just the most ridiculous premise. And it's just like, you know, a premise made, like, because of just, like, how limited game dynamics were back in the day. Right. It's, it's, like, they're stealing the dumb of the rock. South Korea's kimchi. Yeah, and they're just... And they have these just like repetitive, like every single investigation is just so repetitive in this kind of just odd way. I think my favorite part of it is that you knew you were in the right city because there'd be this little like animation that would play when you uh-huh. landed. Like it would be like a mime <gasps> yes. with like evil music in the background. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I guess totally I'm close. On. Yeah, but <laughs> when, when you really were in the, like in the final city, they would be like slightly different. There was, like, this one with the arrow. Oh, yeah, it would be, like, the bow yeah. and arrow, yeah. There were a couple of other ones, too. Yeah. I liked those interviews where someone would be like, uh, you should watch out. <laughs> well done. And, like, some of these names, like, Sandy Dunes, <laughs> You'll Be Sorry. Robin like, Banks. oh, my God. Robin Banks is was canonical. Yeah. Um, there's so many. It's so bad. Just in case. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> what it means to me is that all, like, Carmen Sandiego is not a punny name. No. At all. But all of the other, like, all of her henchmen have punny names. All of them. Sarah Nade, I think, <laughs> is one of my favorites. Yep. Well, what was the, the character you were talking about? Um, I said she had good fashion game. You sent her the picture of her to me. Like, even some of the, like, good guys have really punny names. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. The one that um, I was trying to have be the love interest. It was, like, diplomacy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like... They're, and diplomacy is like holy crap. She f- speaks nineteen languages. She's she's pretty badass polyglot. Yeah, the, the way that the game is scored is like you had a set amount of time to complete the case, or like you know you ran That's out of time. Right. But like you would sleep for exactly nine hours every night. That's why I was like giggling at yeah. that part because it wouldn't even 
it, it wasn't even obtrusive. It was just your cell phone had yeah. like time like, that would, would pass be in the middle, it, and it would sometimes just say sleeping. You'd be just like futzing around with your warrant thing, and then it would be like sleeping, and then all of a sudden it would be nine hours later. It, it didn't do <laughs> yeah. anything. It didn't affect the game in any way. You would just be sleeping. For exactly nine hours. It was cute. <laughs> it was really yeah. weird. It's an adorable <laughs> game. I, I suggest you all play it if you want to know more about the uh, geography of the world circa 1990. Herb aside... Herbicide. Don't doesn't she sometimes steal like geographic landmarks? No. Yes. <laughs> no. Sometimes she like she like she stole the Amazon. She, <laughs> she stole the stage in Italy or something. Like th- that was a case I had. Or, or like Copernicus's telescope. I don't think Copernicus had a telescope, but I think it was like before the telescope was invented. Oh my god, <laughs> guys! There's a character named Malfunction. I'm done. But like, but, but the best one is like, is like the you know the kimchi recipes, like the the ideas that exist in the brains of multiple people. <laughs> yes. And then you return it. It's like the people of South Korea are happy. You're like, oh, okay. Glad they got that. And the back. fun facts are like obsessed with like uh, mineral exports. Like she's in a country yeah, where they export like- a lot of tin. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh man, really? It's. It probably hasn't aged well with a lot of the way that they talk about countries, but it's so fun. Yes. If you have some spare time and want to have something absurd (laughs) to do that will take you back to the 90s, if you you were alive and cognizant in the 90s, I don't know. (laughs) Delinquent. Yes, delinquent. And cliffhanger. Oh my god. No, uh, str- strongly recommended, and then uh, also strongly recommended is, of course, playing any retro games on a DOS box. Yes. Um, if you're a Mac user, I suggest Boxer. Because um, yeah. the one that Kylie tries to set me up with is just not working. I, it was DOS box. It's not exactly revolutionary. Yeah. But yeah, I think that is all. And I think that is our show. We will be back to the four-segment format next time, probably with a contributor, too. Hopefully. But there was just so much to say about Rogue One and... The three of us, again, can fanfic anything. So. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll probably link uh, the Rogue One tag in the show notes, right? Because we've had several people about it. And yeah, good yeah that's, that's a good idea. We've had a review. We had we had a Jess's piece, actually, if you want a positive take on the Rogue One characters, if you felt more compelled by them. Uh, so to Jess, that might be worth checking out. We have Kylie's piece. Uh, <laughs> there's my piece. My piece was seriously written out of love, but it became this like wanky fest <laughs> towards the end of it. So I apologize for it, but I'm just frustrated. I'm frustrated because we could have had it all. We could have had rife engineering drama and and corporate hierarchies and yeah, Martels. Hiroshi Sato and Martels. Oh yes, so many Martels. We almost <laughs> had it. Anyway, if you guys like this podcast, tell a friend or leave us a review. We are on iTunes now, especially reviews help us, but a rating is nice as well. Otherwise, you can check out our writing on thefandamentals.com and check out some of our other podcasts. I think at the moment it's just Ladies First, but if you search on Ladies First. And Unabashed, oh my god. You forgot your own podcast. Well, we've been doing it for like more than a year, but it's just, we just had it like basically affiliated officially with the website. So. That's true. Yeah. Well, cause we were embarrassed of it before. Like, what should we fic up? What should we uh, talk about? I know Julia's fanfic. (laughs) We have good episodes, I promise. That was only because we were traumatized that we talked about my fanfic. We have more coming in the pipeline, but yeah, if you're, if you're into disparaging A Song of Ice and Fire's dastardly adaptation, then check out a Book summary. Other than that, it was lovely as always having you here, and we will talk to you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Goodbye.